What is up, asymmetry? Yeah, yeah. We had some technical issues last week, but we caught up with Andrew Robson and just such a pleasure. Man, he's a great guy to talk to. I really enjoy Andrew. He's setting up Rakuyo in. He's got the the garden uh, at least foundationally built, a home to live in, deciduous trees on site. Can't wait to see what he's going to do with them. But he had reached out and he had said, hey, let's talk about whether bonsai is an art or a craft. And I thought, danger, danger, Will Robson, danger. But, um, you know, there's not a better person to discuss something like this with than Andrew because I think both he and I come into it asking the question of, is it? not approaching it as it is and uh, really stimulating discussion tonight. It's not some um, debate. It's, uh, it's not some uh, pointless pontificating. I think there were some very salient points made and, uh, and a necessary exercise that uh, anybody doing bonsai with intention probably needs to engage with at some point in time. Hopefully this stimulates some thought and, uh, and maybe gives you a boost in engaging with that uh, concept of art versus craft. Enjoy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. What's going on, Andrew Robson? Hey, Ryan. How's it going? It is going, my friend. How are you? I'm doing well. Can you uh, hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you just fine. It's good to good to make contact. All this tech, a little too much tech for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I just keep it simple with my MacBook. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Exactly. Keep, keep it simple and basic. Yeah, it's about all I can keep up with. <laughs> uh, yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. I, I, is this your new place? Are you in it? This is my new house, yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm all the trees are here. So Yes, are you yeah. like totally in your element, just thriving? Yeah, it's, it's the first time in, oh my gosh, I don't even know how long that I've actually been able to live with all of my trees, and that's been really, really nice. Yeah, so to be able to like walk out and, and see them all in, in one spot is is awesome. Yeah, yeah. I saw. I think I saw. I don't know if it was Instagram or you posted with all of like the deciduous trees like laid out in the yard, or maybe your dad posted. I don't know. Somebody. I saw something, uh, yeah. and it was just like, yeah, man, it looks good. It looks sharp. Yeah, we we definitely have a a good start going. So I'm I'm looking forward to building off that. Good, good. Well, congratulations. That's super exciting. Rolling with the punches of podcasting via Zoom during the pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's the, the way of life these days. Yeah. Well, yeah, less than ideal is the new norm, and that's okay. You know, like, we had it pretty good. Things are still pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah, well, at least we pivoted and are still able to do it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, you had, you had, uh, there's so much I want to talk to you about, as always. But you had a proposed subject matter for this, and I wanted to circle back and just see where your head was at about if you had specifics that we were we we should address this time. Yeah, I, I think I did when we first contacted, but I, I I'm game to talk about anything. Yeah. Um, what what was that? Just remind me of that. It was art versus craft because that is something uh-huh. I was talking about. See, this is interesting. I'm glad you brought that back. Uh, because I, I very much, I very much enjoy that conversation. And so I'm open, I'm open to anything as well, but I think that's a good jumping off point. And I was curious cause you kind of, um, you threw that out there as a potential subject matter. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and I was just curious, where did that come from? Where did the, did the desire to talk about that come from? 
Yeah, it's something that I've talked with uh, my teacher, Michael, a lot about, uh, Mike Hegedorn. And it's, it's really fun to talk about because I don't think it really matters in the end. Yeah. You know, it's bonsai and art aircraft. I mean, it, it's, in the end, it's just words and syntax. But it's, it is something that's really fun to think about. You know, what are we doing and where's our place in the artistic community um, with that? Um, with art and craft, it's kind of fun because if you look at Merriam-Webster, their synonym for art is craft and vice versa. So they don't, <laughs> the dictionary doesn't really give us a lot of good clues, but it's, it's kind of fun to talk about in relation to bonsai. And I, I know you've, you've chatted about it uh, a fair bit, um, so it might be fun to rap about. Yeah, I think so. And I think, I think you're right. Like the, it, it, it really... It really has no bearing ultimately like it's a it's a pontification yeah. uh, to to a degree but I think it's a good exercise. I think um to challenge and ask the question is to have clarity over the intention and I think intention is a very important thing if you're trying to uh you know create a dialogue or communicate through any sort of action or medium. And yeah. I guess I guess that's where if people are like, oh, this is such a lame conversation. It's like, well, that that's fine. You know, if bonsai, if maybe if bonsai were my hobby, then I could understand sort of taking a back seat and kind of uh, foregoing the what seems like a you know a fruitless uh, mental exercise. But I think definitely as a professional, it's necessary to be able to discuss and. The deeper we get, the more important I think it is to have clarity, at least in your own mind, about where you stand in that subject matter. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I go back and forth a lot because it's it's it is kind of a as a young artist myself, it is kind of you know young artists more than older artists tend to want to find their place in the world, <laughs> and so yeah, it's 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 one that I've just been thinking a lot about lately. Um, and where do you land? I mean, where do you fall on the, let's just say the, the question is, is bonsai an art or a craft as a general, which I think is a little bit too broad of a question, but I'm just, you know, how would you respond to that? Yeah, as a general, I, the best definition that I like is, is, is the bonsai is an art, first of all, but the best way that I define that is, is art is something that you do that's beautiful with no purpose, mm -hmm. no functional purpose. It's not like a plate that you eat off of. Um, or something like that, but it, it's just beauty for beauty's sake. Yep. Um, and, and that's, that's one of the best definitions that I've, I've heard defining art and craft is, is, does it have utility or, or function um, attached to it? So a painting obviously does not, but a plate or, um, sometimes a vessel or something like that, um, might. So that, that's, that's where I kind of land. Um, I think bonsai is an art, but there's a lot of, in the way that we develop deciduous trees slowly through time, there's a lot of craft um, kind of component in that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like that, uh, that dialogue of art doesn't have to function. I, I feel like Richard Serra, I feel like that's a Richard Serra quote. That he, that he like, you know, because he was one of the, I would say, foremost modern artists of our time that has actually been able to uh, verbalize 
his thought process. It wasn't such, although I think he's a very intuitive artist and incredibly groundbreaking artist with just yeah. in so many different realms. I, I feel like he could speak about it so well. Um, but but I think like, you know, the problem with that is the problem with simplifying the concept of art to being something that doesn't have to function is then you get a lot of stuff that I don't think, I don't think people look at and say, well, that's an art being justified as, or, or that is art being justified as art. You know, it's like, just cause I make like a ball, a ball of clay, you know, <laughs> it's like, it doesn't do anything. It's like, well, this is my art form to make this ball of clay. It's like, okay, well then there's some, has to be something else. Right. Yeah. And I think that's where it gets super murky. Um, it's super murky topic. We're definitely in gray waters talking about it. There's, there's no black and white. Yeah. And- definition and it changes from person to person and medium to medium yeah and i think what's made it even more slippery is there was at one time sort of an aristocratic approach to quantifying something as an art form and it centered around either high society or the gallerist more than anything uh looking at somebody's work and saying this is an art you know to the degree that 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 urinals have been considered an art or hay bales and an open space have been considered an art because somebody's like i deem that art and and then with social media and and the democratization of of a platform to expose people to your creative work or maybe not even intended to be creative work just work suddenly it's like you know the gallerist doesn't have control anymore Right. Yeah. And it, and it really has, uh, it has, uh, created a free trade of art. And I, and I, and I think that also is where for me, it gets a little bit, uh, suspect. And, and when I back into this, I I guess I would think like, when I think about an artist, what do I think about an artist embodying as as sort of uh an approach to their medium or the creation of expression of their creation and and i think that there are intangible components to what i look at and feel is art versus is not art and i think there's uh uh, a definitive mastery of the craft because i don't think that you can create compelling work if you haven't mastered the medium and the techniques to manipulate the medium so a mastery of craft, uh, a, a prolific body of work. Uh, and this is to say the mastery of craft and the perfection of technique demands uh, just an intense body of work, prolific work. And I think that prolificness also is necessary to explore the internal intent to understand the self as it's represented through the medium and then the technique that allows you to manipulate the medium to express those things. And then I think the, the the third piece that feels uh, pertinent that you see in really moving art or art that creates dialogue and conjures thought is is um, almost a self sacrificial degree of of investment, and it's like only at that time does it seem like work crosses the threshold. Whether you're talking about physical feats whether you're talking about um, time scale or uh, physical scale or you're defying uh, the common behavior in this commitment to the necessity to communicate. And, and, and I think once you cross those three pieces, for me, 
when uh, you take in a piece of work that has those three elements, suddenly it, it changes your experience with that piece. And it's just, it, it seems time in, time out, how do you separate uh, a Vincent Van Gogh from, you know, my high school art teacher? And it's like, what the, you know, Van Gogh was this obsessive, I mean, obsessive to the degree that they've analyzed his personality, uh, you know, post-mortem to try and understand uh, he, he's a self-made, not naturally creative, highly technical, and, and in that prolific nature suddenly had this moment of breakthrough and then, you know, 20 some paintings later, he's dead. And, but, but, but his body of work up until we know Van Gogh as this, you know, incredible was pretty shitty, honestly. Like it wasn't impressive. Yeah. So I don't know. That's that's my pit. That's my pitch on that. That does not. That does not tap into how I feel about bonsai. I want to come back to that, but I want to throw that out there at you as like I, I feel like these elements are important, at least from my impression. Do you think that you can practice bonsai both as an art and as a craft? I think that bonsai is a craft. Um, in the purest sense. And when we, when we say bonsai, um, we're talking about the Japanese traditional approach to bonsai, I do believe is a craft. Do you think there's people in the Japanese community that practice bonsai as an art? I think... Yeah, so I think... Um, I think that there are people that are more art-minded about bonsai. I definitely do. And I think that there are people in Japanese bonsai that have pursued it as an art at times. I really do. Uh, I don't know that I think that there's anybody in Japanese bonsai that is an artist through and through. And that, that, that might be a discussion of the corruption of attention or money or power or... Um, any of the other themes that do tend to, when you look at a, a cutting edge band and their very first album release versus three, you know, album releases later where they've quote unquote sold out, you know, sure. and it's like the, that, that's a shift. That's like a narrative arc of a career. That's a, uh, an influence of the culture around success of creative production. And I, I think that you've probably seen that in artists in Japan that have maybe been corrupted by that. And suddenly I don't know that what they make anymore is art. Gotcha. But I don't know. I don't, this is an opinion, and, it, yeah. and, and I do have to be careful because it is very much responding to a question off the cuff. Like I, I think I was just looking, <clears throat> interestingly enough, yesterday at Mr. Kimura's uh, first three books that are printed in Japanese. I don't know if you've ever seen those three books. His The, the Magician one, the, like the Juniper book, the Pine book, those ones? Uh, no, they're... Um, let me grab them real quick. Hang on one sec. And I can't grab them because I'm like going to tell you the name, but I just wanted to show you the radical vintage oh, 1970s, <laughs> right? Like it, it doesn't yeah. even, the covers don't even have to do with bonsai. They're like some like Atari game design. Yeah. yeah. So it's part one, part two, and part three. Uh, the title is Masahiko Kimura, the magical technician of contemporary bonsai. And these were published, I think, in like the 70s. Uh, they're really hard to find. I've got three sets of them. Uh, yeah. And I, I'm, you're more than welcome. If you want to borrow a set, I'm more than happy to lend them to you because they are pretty challenging to find. But <clears throat> what he does in here is handling bonsai with a prolific body of work in a way that nobody's ever conceptualized it 
and his mastery of craft. To 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 this day, um, I'm sure that there are other very pr- proficient bonsai practitioners, uh, but I've never seen anybody handle the mastery of craft and bonsai like Mr. Kimura. I've seen a lot seen a lot of bonsai professionals that were talented for a period of their career. Mr. Kimura was still grinding in the workshop with you know with when I was apprenticing thirty some years into his professional career post 11 year apprenticeship and five year ostracization you know i mean he was still in the workshop morning to night that that's an, that's an artist in my mind uh in terms of prolific production and commitment to the craft i just um i think over the course of time maybe monetary things uh changed the decisions he would make on a tree and i think that's a that's a compromising impediment to the continued perpetuation of art yeah, yeah. interesting do you how do I word this? Do you um, do you think Western bonsai outside of Japan uh, in the in North America and Europe? Do you think we approach the art status more than Japan does? Um, I think that it is still too early to try and say that what we're doing is art because the prolific body of work doesn't exist. Yeah, you know, you, you, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, I I don't think it matters who you look at in 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 Western bonsai. Um, I think that there, I think that the title of artist, much like the title of master, are earned. Uh, they're yeah. not they're not taken. You know, they're kind of given, not taken. And I think um, I think that there have been like scratches at art. I think there have been. Um, you know, jabs or, or, or punches like attempts at art. Yeah. Uh, but, but I think you have to, I think you have to do that again and again and again and again and again. And I don't, I don't think anybody's done that. So I don't think like bonsai in the Western world is an art form. I think there are people that have maybe handled it as an art periodically, but I still wouldn't call them an artist. because i think an artist understands how to handle the medium as an art constantly based on the prolific the mastery of the technique the prolific body of work and the painstaking investment like i i I still don't there still hasn't bonsai still hasn't been pursued not as a scale of quantity necessarily but as a scale of exploring the boundaries and the possibilities on a way that the kind of sacrifice or reconceptualization of what's possible what is and what's accepted are, are being pushed as boundaries you know and i think like when you see mr Kimura in the beginning like he's flipping trees upside down he's carving trees he's dramatically changing trees and nobody had really done that to that point and so that was boundary pushing and i think he very much in the beginning influenced by western culture outside of the japanese tradition and almost rejecting of it to a degree was like there was a lot of pathos uh, around the work that he was creating, uh, and his experience as an apprentice also paved the way for a lot of that. The loss of his father also paved the way for a lot of that. Like he had all the momentum of an artist, but he became really successful. And, and I think that's challenging, but I, but I want to ask the same questions of you because do you think Japanese bonsai is an art form? And do you think there are artists in Japan or bonsai professionals in Japan that are artists? Yeah, I I do think bonsai is an art form. I do th- think Japanese bonsai tends 
to be more craft oriented than art oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, just in their kind of communal approach, I think is is fairly easy to see. Um, but I do think there's some people who do some pretty artistic things. And I think it, it can be, you know, I don't know, maybe defining it as an art is just making the bonsai look like a bonsai, which is so common in their kind of aesthetic continuity. Um, not seeing a lot of difference. Things like what Michael said in one of your podcasts, they're all working off the same artist statement. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't know. I do, I do see some people breaking away a little bit. Um, I, I saw that with pieces like Kamara's uh, Hinoki Forest on the, the two slants. For sure. Mm-hmm. I, I saw it in some of, some of uh, Shinji Suzuki's work um, where he kind of let the tree be less detailed and contrived and, and kind of grow a little bit more naturally in its form. Um, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. I, I, I think, uh, I guess personally I'm wondering with the art versus craft argument is, is just the sake that it's communal mean that it's, does that have any relevancy to the definition? Um, if if they're all working off the same artist statement, does that mean that it's it's not an art? Um, I don't know where I land on that yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think like over the course of time, uh, my in in a lot of these conversations, um, a lot of these conversations came from spending time with Ricardo, who was the original. Um, videographer that I worked with on Mirai Live, and Ricardo was trained at RISD and, you know, in photography and film, and he just had so many, we, we were driving from Puglia uh, and the Roman Olives to the Amalfi Coast in Italy, and we were podcasting while we were driving, and he just had uh, such an interesting take on what makes something an art, and the the notion now of putting something out on social media and then people taking that and interpreting it in a different way than it was intended to and relinquishing control and maybe the art being the manipulation of it or maybe the artist learning from somebody else's interpretation and anticipation of the intention of the work and it like got even more murky when all of that because then it's like oh my gosh like i you put something out there and then somebody else takes it and does something else with it and you're like wow i never saw that and is that now their art form that they manipulated but i just don't think that that's enough i don't feel like that's enough when you and and there is like whether whether people want to want to poo poo the notion of there is sort of an elite community of artists that are undeniable in their work and what then becomes undeniably undeniably accepted as art. Well, is it the scale that Richard Serra applies to his core 10 structures? You know, because like Richard Serra's concept isn't, isn't uh, the thing that Richard Serra is exploring has nothing to do with the mass of the core 10. It's the space between the core 10. And like, now you have a groundbreaking concept. This is like, people are just like, mind blown what you know and and then when you walk through those spaces and the way that they change your sensation as a human being they challenge and compromise your ability to feel comfort or um beauty or anything pleasant or maybe anything you know it's just like that that is 
that is undeniable. The concept is undeniable. Now, somebody sitting and, and painting, uh, you know, uh, a, a picture that's a ripoff of the Mona Lisa, and 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 you know, like I, I think, like, does that make them an artist? I just, it's so different now that that it feels yeah. to me like that's just not the same thing. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. And I think that's where, that's where with bonsai. With bonsai, the tree. Do you think you have to be doing something new? No. To, for it to be an art? No, no, I don't. But I think that you do have to be. I I think that art elicits thought conversation or uh, thought conversation or critical dialogue, and I and I do think that that's necessary in order for the painstaking effort and the depth that you're diving as I think an artist is in the personal exploration and the awareness of the medium uh, it seems like you would have to come to some sort of desire to communicate if you've gone that deep but yeah. i think like when you talk about japanese bonsai and say it doesn't function in one sense you could say listen we do bonsai because it's beautiful but unfortunately bonsai in my mind is the epitome of design because design is form and function and when you think about the layout of the branches of a, a of a tree they have to photosynthetically function. And when we design a bonsai, we can't just willy-nilly design a bonsai the way that we want to. It has to survive after that. And there are limitations and there are boundaries and there is an organizational system to nature that you have to respect. And all of a sudden you're like, well, you just backed yourself right into design. And yeah. to do good design, that is a craft. That is, yeah. that is no longer, right? And so then I've asked myself that because I don't think bonsai is an art form. I do think it is a craft, and I do think it is an intense level of design that considers the form and the beauty of it and the function, which is a living system that has to continue to self-feed. And then I think what makes it the art becomes the manner in which we present it and the context in which these trees are delivered to challenge somebody or uh, provide an experience or communicate a concept. And, and that is where... Japanese bonsai, for the most part, is presented in a show context to the world in the form of the Kokufu exhibition or the Taikon 10, or it is digested in more personal spaces in the Tokonoma setting, but already the Tokonoma setting has more context and is far more intimate and, in my mind, taps more into art than the exhibition of a bonsai tree on the grand exhibition scene. Sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think for me where I'm kind of landing is, 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 is totally in the way that we present these trees that, that makes, makes, takes them to that art level. Yeah. Um, you could have the same tree in a pot that's going to be in the garden. That's going to be hundred percent craft. And then you put it in the streets of Portland and in a, and you display it in a way that's unordinary and special and, mm -hmm. and, and, conveys meaning to people and that's that's i think the threshold um that we have to kind of get past that's kind of just my personal thoughts where i've been landing on this conversation um but then i you know i i, I think a lot about the uh, the limitations like you, you just pointed out the physiological limitations that we have with with bonsai that you know confine us um within maybe this craft like center um but i'm also thinking with deciduous um to, to circle back to that i i'm I'm so limited with my work and with time. It, I can't take a, 
a, a, a tree that, that has a lot of age and, and transform it very radically um, with, with some wire and, and a few hours. Um, so if I'm going to do something really crazy or avant-garde, I'm limited to, you know, a decade or two of, of investment into that idea that I might be thinking on one particular day. So mm-hmm. it's, that's, that's kind of where I've been questioning a lot lately is, is especially in, in, in uh, the deciduous context, um, how can we elevate this to maybe move past the, the craft of building beautiful branching and, and, and present that in a way that's, has a little bit more meaning. Yeah, and I think it, uh, I think it's fascinating to think about the deciduous model because actually the way that you just described it sounds far far more romantic and sexy than like a rapid transformation of a conifer. You know, like I'm limited yeah. by time, and it's like ooh, but that time is so empowering when you think about art, like the the sacrifice and the dedication to create. I actually think it works for you in some senses of the deciduous model having the capacity to be considered that. But I also think the interesting thing about deciduous bonsai, like with conifers, with the rapid capacity to change things, there is the ability to compare the aesthetic approach of the Japanese model, of the European model, of the American model, if one exists, right? And that's not not to say that there's like definitives there, but I think there are nuances of culture reflected in the approaches that you see in the trees. Um, Whereas with the deciduous, it takes so much more time. And yeah. and because it takes so much more time, I think there is a value system placed on deciduous bonsai that, like working off the same artist statement in Japanese bonsai, has created the traditional model, expecting every person who cultivates deciduous to be aspiring to the same seamless transition of taper and minimalization of scarring and enhanced uh, dense ramified, uh, you know tips of the plant and this came back like talking with Walter Paul when he was kind of being lambasted for his deciduous techniques a while back on the internet by by you know by a variety of personalities it really made me recognize like oh Walter's not Walter's not aspiring to the same thing as other people who are saying he's wrong like yeah. he's not he was he's not working off of anybody else's hardest statement i think we recognize that and so yeah. he's not wrong in the path that he's taking to accomplish what he aspires to in deciduous. And that was the first time for me that I had ever thought, oh, wow. Like there's like, uh, uh, this is, we're not all trying to accomplish the same thing. And it become you have to be very careful about criticizing people unless you're aware of what they're trying to accomplish and, and you feel it's unsuccessful, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Walter because he's such a, a good person to, to, to reference with this conversation, mm. especially when we reply to deciduous, he uh, he, I was watching a video of him once, and he he compared if, if we're going to talk about natural deciduous style, if if we're just going to super generalize things, he said most deciduous broadleaf trees grow in an informal broom like informal broom like style. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you, you imagine your typical Zelkova broom that we have in deciduous bonsai and then you just kind of stretch it make it a little bit taller and that's that's how most deciduous trees grow if you look if you, you study nature they're i mean they're, they're variations on this informal broom style I, I love that that way to describe it because i use it in my own teaching so much it's just really powerful uh, of a message but i do think 
you know, I, I think the deciduous form, there's, I think there's less natural uh, variance in, in, in the wild. For example, if you take a, a, the Oregon white oak, you grow it here in the Willamette Valley, the shape that it grows is very similar to if you put it in a harsh environment, maybe in the, in the gorge at a thousand feet on the cliffside, it's still going to grow pretty much the same shape. It's not going to have a lot of variance to it that you might see with the Rocky Mountain juniper where you know, 99% of them grow fairly straight trunks and, and just kind of big bushes. But then you get into some of these granite outcrops and they do this totally abstract kind of form. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm super generalizing here, but I, I think there's a lot less variance in, in the, the deciduous forms in how they grow their, their branching shapes in the water. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, this is actually something that we were talking about today. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the, I think the question is not like environmentally from uh, extremes. How does it impact the deciduous form? Because yeah. with the conifer, that is where you see the differentiation of uh, a lush growing environment and a Rocky Mountain juniper is a flame shape and a harsh environment. And it turns into an abstract piece of like uh, unpredictability, right? It seems to me like the deciduous, it's not going to exist in too harsh of an environment first and foremost. And if it's a little bit rugged, it might be a little bit smaller and have the same characteristic. If it's really lush, it's going to be, for most of the part, gigantic and the same general shape. I totally agree. Cytokine and hormone-driven as opposed to oxen-dominant horm hormonally-driven, right? I think where it changes for deciduous specifically is when a deciduous is in community versus when a deciduous stands alone. And, yeah. and and this then becomes a really interesting dialogue and context for bonsai creation because the literati form of a deciduous tree, which which isn't often seen, but occasionally it is, right? And you have this yeah. slender trunk and this elegant, sparse, minimal branching. Well, this is a a forest dwelling neighbors all around it canopy at the very upper outer stretches of 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 the trunk mass towards the light. And, and then you take that same species and you put it in an unrestricted environment with all the resources and you're going to have probably a bigger, broader, you know, and I think about a beach as a specific example of a very powerful thick trunk tree with a very robust, whatever this uh, informal broom shape uh, it fits it to the T. You put it in a forest and it's this slender, tall, elegant, minimally sparse branch piece. It seems to me that the, the population in which that tree sits suddenly changes the context that allows us to now explore the variety of forms. Yeah, yeah, that's that's huge for deciduous forms because I mean, if you look at a conifer forest, which we're so blessed to see uh, around us, um, it's like there's a thousand Christmas trees all planted together that just kind of grew old and they're very individual. But but deciduous, they're they're like a school of fish or a flock yes. of birds that are communal and they're super influence of each other. So whether you have, you know, a single trunk bonsai or, or maybe seven trunks, the, the form is going to be relatively the same. Yep. Maybe that, that one small trunk on the edge is, is going to act more like a branch just because of its location surrounding the other trunks. But yeah, it's, it, I, 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 the Boonjin or, or literati style, you know, I have, I have several trees in my garden that, um, 
are kind of, I, I call them excerpts of a forest. So it's like, if you just took one, that, that one tree on the edge that's growing kind of outwards and, and, you know, has most of its branches on one side, uh, what would it look like to put just that tree in a container? Yeah. Um, I, I've been playing with that a lot. Um, and that's really fun to, to play with these, these communal influences and, and maybe subtracting the other elements around them. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't see the, 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 the abstractness and the deciduous form that I, I see in conifers. Yeah. Yeah. I think it is. I, I think that is a challenge just because of the limitation of the deciduous model needing far more water and resource availability. Right. So you don't have the, the starvation mechanism nearly as much. Yeah. It, it seems, and, and instead, like the abstraction of deciduous, it seems it feels comes in the age of the branching over so much time. Yeah, and, and you don't have the the, the deadwood and the resins that tell the story of what what lied in the past. Right. They just you know deciduous, they just fall off and rot away. True, but you do have the vacancies, right? Both vacancies in potentially yeah. the trunk mass, as well as vacancies potentially in the silhouette, which like yeah. um. Like there's Oregon white oak. I've talked about it a lot. Like on the, the sort of the back road drive to Mirai, there's like a series of Oregon white oaks. Best time of year right now because they're in winter silhouette. But there's like one stately tree that exists out in this cow pasture that that I've watched deteriorate from a full size tree and it dropped a, a major branch in 2010 when I was first looking at it and then the branch fell and then the whole apex blew off. Uh, in 2014 and then uh, an entirely different section of the rear portion of the tree fell off in 2018. So I'm literally watching this oak be deconstructed in in a very, what I would consider to be a very short time frame, but suddenly it's, it's this, the, the asymmetrical form as a product of age and elements acting on it and the, the deterioration or lack thereof as a demonstration of age and informality is yeah. not something that I think people have explored in bonsai because even, even Walter Paul and even, even uh, people that I think are dealing with very old material and even the hollowing out of a trunk and the carving and the embracing of deadwood and, and uh, deterioration as a sign of age and ruggedness and deciduous, I, 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 it's very rare that you see somebody commit to that vacancy as a cornerstone of the design. Yeah. And, and I feel like there's room. I still feel like there's room there in that discussion. Like at what, at what point in this tree's life are we catching it on the way up or on the way down? Yeah. That's, it's, it's, I think it's really tricky to illustrate. I mean, for one, you'd have to start with a really old tree. I mean, you can't take a 10 year old seedling and, and convey that type of age. Totally. So you'd have to start with something that's, incredibly old as it is just so that it can convey that age and yeah i I mean sometimes i I do see this a lot with deciduous you know they are more unstable the older they get and so several old deciduous bonsai that maybe were once famous and had a ton of branches you will see them um, in books and, and in person you know later on where they've lost significant branches and they have Kind of this absence of ramification in a, like a quirky way that works, uh, but yeah, it's I, I I think showing that that deterioration would be really challenging. I think but, it's challenging. I've been, but not, not undoable. Yeah, not no. I, I you know what I think. I I, I um I've done 
three pieces of work in the natural environment over the past year. Uh, we went up to the Olympic Peninsula and did a subalpine fur. I went to Crater Lake and did a white bark, and then I took bristlecone down to the White Mountains. Um, and each time I've done that, being out in the environment, like uh, you know, taking literal cues on the on the tree that I'm working on and being exposed to that. Uh, it felt inappropriate to overly control the tree and overly wire the tree. And and the the less formal that my actions were on that tree, the more it fit into that landscape and the aesthetic. But then when I bring those trees back to Mirai, suddenly like I'm looking at it and I'm like, that's kind of a sh- kind of a shitty job styling that tree, you know? Like like suddenly. I'm in a more organized and and it and it's really it's really influenced me to a significant degree to recognize the extent to which the built environment formulates our concept of what is and disconnects us from what what actually matters which which is I think a a, a lesser hold on control and 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 in the built environment, I want to wire all the branches that in the natural environment I did not feel compelled to try and manipulate um, w- which I think when you think about the deciduous model, I-, I wonder, it's challenging. It's challenging to not have the completion of that form. It's, it's, it's like there's, and we are, we have to recognize in bonsai that we are influenced by all of the images that stimulated our interest in the art form or the, the pursuit of bonsai, you know, cause I said bonsai is not an art form and then I, I, I call it an art form, right? I, it's, totally totally um anyways inconsistent but i think like those images and that data bank is is built on japanese bonsai and it's beautiful and it encouraged all of us to get involved and then if you're going to deviate from that and you suddenly have this incomplete package that actually might be more naturally representative but we've input ourselves into an unnatural environment to try and recreate a natural image it's an oxymoron it's it's impossible we've created an impossibility I'm still trying to to break and chip away all of my biases and, and aesthetic habits from from learning bonsai. Um, just the other day, just to give you an example. The other day, I was I have several beautiful Japanese maples in my neighborhood, and 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 I've been thinking a lot about Japanese maples and the clump style um, and the the beautiful multi stemmed uh, characteristics that they they have. Um, and you know, in bonsai, whenever we talk about clumps, it's you know. Well, you got to have the tall one, and that's got to be the thickest. And then you got to have the small ones, and they got to be thinner. And and I'm looking at all these, you know, beautiful, mature, fifty-year-old maples in my neighborhood, and they're all all of the multi-stem ones are relatively the same size trunks. They're relatively the same height, most of them. I mean, yeah. it's it's all of the, these rules that we um, prescribe to bonsai. They, they they just get broken so often when we actually look at trees, and I think. With deciduous, it's it's especially so. Um, you know, when I was first learning what deciduous was and how how could I pursue just deciduous, I thought, you know, in my apprenticeship, I thought, you know, well, bones I have to have pads, and then we look at deciduous trees in, in the landscape, and you know, they don't have pads; they just have you know, these all-encompassing crowns. Um, so there's just a lot of I don't know aesthetic bias that I'm still kind of working out. And, chipping away at, you know, these, these assumptions that we uh, are, are by and large good, you know, like bar branches and, and taper and all these things. You, you can see all these beautiful exceptions in, in nature, which yeah. is fun to explore. 
Yeah, yeah, I really, I mean, obviously over the past 10 years, like I've, I, I, <laughs> you know, I've had a lot of internal conflict about uh, those, those biases and the conventions of bonsai and the origin of the aesthetic that, that has been accepted as sort of the norm and 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 that's just the that's just the design decisions that are made but there's also the physiological things that intuitively begin to happen inside of the photosynthetic system when you ramify the root system and you change the hormonal production and you constrict the energy system and you distribute it over a greater number of branches in a smaller space which which was a concept you brought to the last podcast that we did together that I'd never thought about how unnatural the number of branches in it like a, a you know a, a square inch yeah it's, it's just totally unnatural it's an impossibility and then when you think about the number of roots that are occurring in that square inch and the dynamic of that decreased gravity column and water oxygen scenario and hormonal production from the tip to the tip of the root to the brain it's like we we really it it is a Frankenstein action to a large degree. It's a it's a um, amazing that it has been worked out to the degree where there is the knowledge that exists and there's still so much unknown. Um, but th this further, I think, reinforces the notion that maybe. And I was thinking about this as I was looking at Mister Kamura's books again last night. I'm just kind of passing the time. Maybe bonsai is becoming an art form. And that's not to say that it's reaching some higher higher state of of uh, of any level of anything. But Mr. Kimura's work, when he started carving and adding all of this deadwood, everybody said, this is an artist because he's handling this thing in a way we've never interpreted. He's treating it like sculpture. There's this, you know, prolific body of dramatic and it's um, and now that's the accepted. So, so what was the, 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 the sensation of bonsai being pursued as an art form in the 70s, 80s, 90s is, is, is now sort of an accepted standard, which, which I think does follow the trend of art sort of dictating and guiding culture, right? And, and, and changing our perceptions of what is. Um, but if that becomes the standard and what, what he created or, or say, for example, you know, um, some of what Shinji Suzuki is doing, if you consider the work that he does in art, these are just setting new baselines for people that are exposed to that as their first iteration, right? And I think that that's where, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants or you build upon these concepts, te yeah. te te technically, if we're doing our job as bonsai professionals, we... I would think that we would want to contribute and take take the degree to which we are pursuing excellence to that next step. Uh, otherwise, we're just a neutral, and bonsai is not improving and it's not growing. It's stagnating and stagnating. I think for a human, for a living thing, and I do think that the evolution of concept is a, is a living thing across a community. Th then it would then the concept would be dying, and so then it's like for everybody that wants to. So that wants to say bonsai, you know, tradition or the Japanese style or this style is right or this style is right. The resistance to explore, I, I, I don't really understand that because it's like, why can't why can't we explore and appreciate what it what it has always been? You know, like why can't you do both? Yeah. Why can't this be okay and this be okay? Yeah. Um. So for me, that's always been a, a point of frustration. Yeah. Yeah. I. 
with my kind of limitations with I think what we talked about with what the deciduous model can offer I'm I don't know I've I'm kind of really excited to explore within my limitations I I I like approaching things within a certain framework rather than just having total creative freedom. Mm -hmm. Um, So not just having that horticultural limitation of a tree needs to function and and survive. Um, But, but in in other ways, I I think it's, it's a lot of fun to work within that limitation, maybe just taking away one element like the other trees in that community and just having that one tree, just subtracting one or two elements rather than trying to change, change it all. Uh, I, I, I really like working with those types of limitations. Now, I, now I want to ask you something because when we talked, and I believe it was the first time when we talked, and you were here, um, you'd said, you know, like I don't, I don't need to make something new or explore. You're like, I'm happy just doing good, solid, traditional deciduous bonsai. And I hear a little bit of a different tone in this conversation. And I just want to check in because I think evolution is inevitable. And now you're living with your trees and you've put in some time and, and like bonsai gets in your soul. I'm just wondering where you at. Yeah. I think, you know, Rockleo, my garden, I, I, I just want it to be a home for deciduous. So I want you to be able to come here. I want you to see very traditional Japanese trees that have that exaggerated taper that are maybe more triangular in form that maybe have branches that are a little bit more individual. Um, but I also want the, the counterpoint of having that you know, very natural, more rugged tree. Maybe it has a big scar on it. Maybe it's taper is more subtle. Um, I, I like the juxtaposition of, of all of these different things being represented in the garden. You know, if, if you come to my place and you just see all Japanese trees, I, I, I think Rakuyo has failed in its, its deciduous mission just to share you know, everything that we have have to offer. Um, so I, I lately I've, I've been really big into variety. I want trees that are field grown. I want trees and have the challenges and possibilities that that includes. You know, I want trees that have been grown in, in a container their whole life. I want uh, some Yamadori. I want trees grown from the sea. I, I want all of these different aspects just so that I can really thoroughly move uh, completely within this this world of deciduous bonsai. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It makes sense. It makes it makes total sense. I and, and it seems to me the deeper you're going to go into deciduous, the more opportunity to explore and freedom you're probably going to find. Like it, I, it seems like you're already finding some elbow room. And it yeah. <clears throat> seems like but there's it's concepts. It's still limited, I think, a little bit more. I mean, I can't, I mean, for me to exercise something new or crazy, I, I'm limited by that decade or two of, of time that that idea might take to come to fruition. Um, but that doesn't mean that you can't do some fun things in the short term. So I, I'm, I'm kind of toying with that, yeah. trying to figure out what ideas, you know, if I have 100 ideas, which one of them are going to be worth spending 10 years playing <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's <laughs> tough that's a tough one yeah well yeah. So, so i mean like uh, we're sitting here talking about this but you you went to i mean you went to the school of music and you've spent a large part of your life dedicated to i mean do you consider the work that you did 
um, over the course of your career as a musician to have been a craft or an art? Like, what does that look like? Where do you orient from that? It, it felt a lot like a craft in, in the way that, you know, I wasn't creating anything original. I was performing the work of others. I was, I was more like, an, I was more like a, a builder or a contractor who was executing someone else's piece of architecture. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't a composer. I wasn't, you know, creating new music. Uh, I was just taking music that people had made for me, oftentimes dead people, and kind of bringing that back to life. Right. Um, so it, it, I always, I, I felt, I mean, at least with Bonsai, I can create something new, even if the idea isn't new, like the, the tree itself could be new. Right. Um, and I really like that about Bonsai. With with music, it's, it's, I was always, being an instrumentalist, I was always playing the music that other people had, had created. Um, the, the, the daily dedication that the six hours of practice a day, that, that all felt a lot like craft. Mm-hmm. So, so when does, when does, does music become an art form when you're creating something new? Yeah, I think in the performance of it, just like in the, the, the presentation maybe elevates bonsai to an art form. Maybe the performance, um, is, is what takes it to an art um, sitting in the practice room for six hours a day, I didn't feel like I was doing an art, but <laughs> yeah. playing, playing it, you know, the Lincoln Center, then it, it feels a little bit more, <laughs> more, more so. Um, I bet that was certainly satisfying. <laughs> that had to be yeah, pretty amazing. Yeah, that was fun. Well, um, well but, uh, but, but so this is interesting because, like, in the performance of, or like, one thing I've always been curious about with music is. Um, world famous cellist, uh, you know, is performing a a piece by whatever you know Beethoven, just as a generic example, um, and I and people go to see it, and they're like, we can't wait to see this, and I'm like, you know, I never really understood because it's like, well, whether that cellist performs that piece by Beethoven or another cellist, isn't the piece determined by Beethoven, and they're following what he wrote. But it seems to me, just like conductors, uh, this was like a big, huge confusion of mine. I was talking with Ted Matson, and he's like, uh, I forget what the guy's name is, Gargamesh or Gargamesh, the uh, symphony, L.A. symphony uh, conductor. And he's like, yeah, uh, when, what's that? Gudamel. Oh, Gudamel. There we go. And and when Gudamel came into L.A., he's like, now Gudamel is here, and this is going to be really interesting. And it's like, but a conductor is conducting a piece written by like isn't isn't it going to sound the same? And he's like, no, no, this is an interpretation. And it's like, oh, okay, so is this cellist going to interpret this music? Where do they take on the inspiration to change it from the way that it's been performed, however many thousand, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times before? And in yeah. that different interpretation, wherever they get that, you know, whether it's cultural or whether they read into Beethoven's life and they abide by the fact that he thought his music was supposed to be composed at a much or, or played at a much higher rate and like he was going, you know, it's like, it, what's informing that? Does that then make it an art? I, I, I'm so confused by this. Yeah, I think the interpretation definitely is what makes it an art. Um, the, in, the performance and the interpretation of music is, is what makes it an art when you're mm. playing that off of somebody else's score. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know. It's really, and then you have the, I mean, it's a performance art too, which is something entirely different, you know, getting up and, and putting on a show for people, you know, on a, in front of a live audience that, that 
brings a, a, a much different component to it as well. So um, would be so would doing a bonsai demonstration be art? I think it's performance art. I mean, I mean we're I mean we're expected to kind of put on a show in, in that kind of sense. Yeah, uh, we're expected to get up on stage and perform and 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 create a product. And I I, I do think it does have some unfortunate performance art elements to it. Maybe we do things that. Uh, or maybe in, in what in a lot of demonstrations that I've seen, people do things that they wouldn't necessarily do if they were at home in their studio. Uh, but you know, to put on a show, they have to cut off this big branch or make this big change that maybe isn't necessarily uh, needed. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's it's interesting to think about. Yeah, but that's fascinating because like uh, art doesn't have to have a purpose. So technically, like cutting off that branch is that more abiding by like. It wasn't needed, but it was de- like, is that all of a sudden what makes it an art? Like it's such a, uh, it becomes, again, this is like where you get into, I think w- w- you get into really deep muddy waters uh, a- a- about the discussion. And, sure. and and ultimately I still kind of try to rest on, I still kind of try to rest on those pieces that at least for me make sense. And I've come to understand when I view what I would consider to art, what I would consider something to be art. When I view that the intangibles that seem to be consistent for me across that uh, continue to be that prolific body of work, the mastery of craft and, and, and the, the, the sacrifice to be, to be pursuing it at that scale of whatever that, and it, and it does seem like, newness or dialogue that hasn't been necessarily either flushed out fleshed out or or, or maybe even generated prior and contextually in bonsai i think that's how you generate it is manipulating the context or, or manipulating the elements that are uh, accepted which again is contextual you know like metal pots like uh, this is this is something that when you take it out of the ceramic vessel or the the quote-unquote tray does uh-huh. categorically potent or not categorically, but potentially remove it out of the realm of bonsai, you know? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Because bonsai is a Japanese term that has a, a, a defi- definition created by the kanji characters as they were interpreted in Japan, which aren't even interpreted yeah. the same way in Chinese language. And penjing certainly is different, right? Yeah, you know, I've, I've thought a lot about this, and I, I want to ask you this question. If we were going to name bonsai something else, what would we name it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, I've thought about this, too, a lot. And I definitely recognize I'm not the person to figure that out. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, am, I am way too close. I'm way too close to it. Uh, and I'm way too polluted by the institutionalization of bonsai as a construct. Yeah. Uh, e- even to say like I challenge I challenge that this is I challenge that we all aspire to create the same thing which is you know perfect taper and scarless trunk and high degree of ramification I challenge that that's everybody's goal and I think Walter Paul illustrated that for me and that was really valuable to see that um, y- y- you know like I-, I still can challenge that and be polluted by the overabundant amount of traditional bonsai. And when I say bonsai, bonsai, the Japanese form of, if you say recreating nature in miniature, I don't buy it. I don't believe it, right? And and I think Jap- Japan is such a built environment in which bonsai is being created, and it's a culture that uh, 
values and encourages both conformity and the daily dedication to the pursuit of perfection, which um, both defy, I think, to a large degree, what is natural. Um, And so once you put the creation of something that's supposed to be representing something natural into the built environment in a culture that is pursuing those two uh, concepts, it becomes a cultural manifestation that we have been, I think, educated by. And I think you do, though, the one thing about Japanese culture that I think pushes it in the other direction is the fact that they are so in touch with seasonal living. Even in the modern world, they are very in touch with seasonal eating. They don't heat an entire house. They heat a room, so they're still engaged with seasonal temperature change. And they're very aware of seasonal impact on the human body in terms of whether it's the onset of summer and the fatigue of the temperature change or the onset of winter and the necessity to change your dietary intake, right? Like it's like very, um, I, th- I, th- I think still from the land that, that a lot of, I, I think, concepts or understandings or unspoken uh, pieces find their way into bonsai and you do tap back into that, you know? So it's like then from what perspective do we do we access natural? I still think in North America we're blessed because we have a lot of wild spaces. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's definitely true. But we don't have the we don't have the tokonoma. We don't have the have the alcove as context. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> but yeah, it's it's more of a mid century modern take. It's just a really really modern shelf in my my studio. Oh, I look forward yeah. to seeing that. I but but context context yeah. still feels to me like the moment where there is is a dialogue to be created and 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 if it's going to be art you know if you talk people say like bonsai should be in museums it's like should it should it i don't think so should it you know should it really yeah. and if it shouldn't be in a museum then how do you call it an art yeah. um so then if it should be in a museum in what manner do you put bonsai in a museum and have it belong well that's that's got to be that's a level of understanding and nuanced dedication beyond the craft, beyond the the prolific body of work, that is diving deep into, I think, a level of personal, cultural, uh, physiological, natural world kind of organic understanding and, and and thinking about what what message is that trying to send that I I just don't think uh, I don't think anybody's taken that step yet. Yeah. Yeah. I, with with displaying bonsai and presenting it, crossing that threshold into art, do you think just doing something for the sake of doing it, like just taking a tree and putting it on a trash can, um, do you think that's... I mean, I struggle with modern art a lot. Mm-hmm. So much modern art and pop art I absolutely despise. Um, but, you know, it's just doing something for the sake of doing it. Uh, how do you feel about that? I want to wrap up that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, Is, taking a bonsai, taking your, your Rocky Mountain Juniper, number one, putting it in a trash can, putting it in the Portland Art Museum, does that make it an art at that point, do you think? Uh, well, I think it, I think it probably um, centers around intention. Because if your intention is to challenge people's 
perspective of what is bonsai or what is art and then you take a bonsai tree and you put it in a trash can and you put it in a museum and you say see what do you think about this you know a lot of people are going to be like well that's a cool tree why'd they put it in a trash can does that tree in a trash that looks like shit why is it an art museum you know it's like it's going to create a lot of dialogue i don't know that that has the intention or the power of a clarity of message and dialogue that seems to me to be worth the time or effort yeah um, but, guess, but but at what point is is it art or not do you think it's like the the intent of the artist doing it or just the randomness of the event that's happening for for me the separating component again is 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 the the yeah. suffering artist statement right um no for me it, it's the it's that degree of depth that is established by the painstaking effort that's gone into it and putting a bonsai in a trash can to me is not a lot of effort yeah. You know, and I think that's where modern art has lost a lot of its appeal. I think modern art really challenges people's perception of what was. And I think modern art ha was a big question. You know, modernism in general is questioning what we commonly accept without thinking about it in society. Um, but I don't necessarily, I mean, whether it's considered art or not, then becomes even more subjective. For me, it doesn't quite meet my metric. Yeah. Uh, because I think that there are ways to handle bonsai or there are ways to handle the representation of nature and miniature through the form of a tree, which, which I think is a more pure, uh, conversation of, of what some of the outlying compositions I would, I, I am trying to pursue what I hope they would do. Um, you know, I think there are ways that I would feel a lot more comfortable doing that and having somebody look at it and take an intentional conversation or context away from that that feels like yeah. maybe i've i've come closer to an uh executing it as an art than putting yeah. it in a trash can in a museum for sure yeah yeah i think the irony is that tree in the trash can would draw far, far more like controversy and, and, and totally i mean the, the the vacuum cleaner from the the artisan's cup is is i guess a good good comparison like having it be so different and in such a, such a juxtaposition from everything else in that show that it, I mean, it, it sparks controversy and, and a lot of discussion, vibrant discussion just for the, because it was different. Oh, I love I, I this. Love, I love that piece being in there, by the way. I, I think it was really fun. I'm so glad but, you brought that up because <clears throat> we took down the paywall in the Artisan's Cup like a long time ago. So anybody can go and listen to the judges critiques on the artisanscup.com um <clears throat> but uh on the artisans cup in in that particular piece's discussion when you look listen to every judge's critique dave de Groot's critique of that is what changed my entire impression of that piece and i don't know if you listen to dave's critique I'll, I'll go do that, i would but. challenge anybody listening to this go to the artisans cup the artisanscup.com um and it's the piece by David Crust. It's a larch in uh, a Hoover vacuum. And um, and listen to each judge's verbal critique of it. And Dave DeGroote was just so incredibly groundbreaking for me because he said, you know, listen, I'm going to, and, 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 and this isn't verbatim, but he said, I'm going to attempt to understand this, which I think David comes from a, a background of intense art collection and appreciation. He was also a... a uh, percussionist in in the New Orleans Symphony and has a background in in art training music etc. 
and and he had a really ground just a groundbreaking transformative impression of that piece that I do think if it's interpreted in that way and that was the intention behind it and in the context of this formality you have this defiant discussion of what is necessary what is the what is the 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 components that make this bonsai or not I I think it was fascinating yeah me too I I, I loved I love that piece I, I loved that it was that it was there it, yeah it felt right. but I also feel like you know the the tree and the vacuum and the form uh the stand and the accent piece like there was more it was more than just putting a tree in a vacuum and putting it in an exhibition and saying i've now yeah, achieved art i think david put so much behind that yeah and there was quality in that tree there was time there was age there was dedication and, and then there was this context the yeah. context of this formal or at least tr- not not formal trying to deviate from formal but still in a formal setting of an art museum and this yeah. expected behavior of the ceramic uh, pot and the this miniaturized tree. And he's like, well, how about this? And it was just like, yeah, yes, yes. That's yeah. interesting. And I and and I think it crossed the I, I think it crossed the boundary. I do think it crossed the boundary. Yeah, it was it was it was a piece that really challenged me at the time. At the time I, I thought bonsai had to be one thing. And so that 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 piece really challenged my thinking. The other piece that I, I really uh, thought a lot about that was a bit more, it was, I think it was just as revolutionary, but in a much more quieter way was Mike, Mike Hegedorn's Blind Maple on Absolutely. the Moss Tower. I mean, it's, uh, I think Michael's really interesting just in general, because he's, he's, he's quite a bit of a revolutionary, but he's, he's a lot like Chopin, the, the piano, the, the famous piano composer um, who is a, a, a a reviewer once described them as, as guns buried in flowers. Um, and it's just like this, this extremely thought provoking piece. It wasn't in a, in a vacuum where it wasn't, you know, very obvious, maybe in the forefront, but if you stood and looked at it for a while, it was something that really challenged all my preconceived notions of bonsai, um, just as much as the vacuum, uh, large did. Um, yeah, it was, it was, a, I like that that show because it, it did have some pieces that really challenged my thought. Yeah, yeah, and the way he displayed it on the the cream colored box, and then I, yeah. I I believe his accent pieces were crabs, and I didn't I yeah, didn't bronze crabs. I didn't quite understand that. Yeah, I didn't understand that, and it felt like uh, it it felt like he had already gone so far afield that to go back to the formality was was but maybe also that was a part of it maybe that was a a part of the challenge or maybe that was a part of the the dialogue and i think like with with david's piece you had to ask that question with michael's piece you had to ask that question and there were others there were others that you had to ask that question in there i think dan robinson always brings you know you look at yeah. yeah you look at dan's work and you're like now i I can't just accept this at face value. I got to think about yeah. what what in the hell is going on here. And I like that. I really like that. And there was a point in my career when I was a young bonsai practitioner where I was like, Dan Robinson, kind of, you know, whatever. You know, he's he's like, I don't get his bonsai approach. And the longer that I've done it, the more I'm like, ah, it's Dan Robinson's dope. I like that guy's yeah. that guy's amazing. I hope we can podcast with him sometime soon. We've we've tried a couple times. Or, or we've proposed it a couple times. We have no, haven't been able to make it happen. 
that that'd be a fun one. It would He's, be, yeah. We need a, like three podcasts to <laughs> yeah, just yeah, to even get warmed up. He's a storyteller yeah. deluxe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. You know, like, when thinking about someone like Dan, I just I always go back to relating it to what I'm doing with deciduous. Uh, I guess habitually, but it's just I, I feel so much more limited to to be able to experiment with some of these these forms in the deciduous model, mm-hmm. uh, which I like, I like that limitation, but it's, I think of Dan Robinson's work and I think, how would that translate to deciduous? And it, it's just like a, a big kind of question marker. How would David Cress work translate to, to deciduous? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Michael, the, well, the piece I like, the, the reason I brought up the, the vine maple tower was Michael. I feel like found a way to translate that abstract, avant-garde, non-traditional type quality and, 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 and use divine vehicles as medium to, to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like, I don't know, with deciduous, it's, it's like we have to be much more, not careful, but I don't know. I don't know what the word, word is. Calculated. Got to be more calculated. Yeah, you you're yeah. investing so much over such a prolonged period of time. It's like you have clarity from the beginning, and even then, it's going to change too much over the time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, when I teach when I teach bonsai, I always tell people deciduous bonsai. This is a four hundred one k or an IRA. This is like you're going to make a lot of contributions <laughs> over a long period of time, and eventually, you're going to be able to retire on something beautiful. Uh, you know, with deciduous bonsai, a lot of the work that we do, my before and after photos, it doesn't look too pretty. Uh-huh. But when you, you take those before and after photos and you put them on a 10-year kind of progression lineup, then you can really see how these trees are evolving and changing. Uh, versus conifers, the before and after looks quite radical and beautiful. Yeah. And, and each time you work on them, we're able to hopefully get a lot of beautiful intent into the branching. Yeah, would, I mean the conifers. It's they're they're a lot more like a quick stock market thing um, in the way that we can change their aesthetic in a quick amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's not to say you can't have change in conifers over time. I, I mean, look, talking about the Arzins Cup again, you know, I've, I've seen trees now. What is it, five, six years later that were in that book, and oh my gosh, they've matured and they've really. Uh, developed out and it's it's really fun to to see that comparison but, but yeah with, with deciduous we're so limited to to what we can do in a in a in a, in, in a short period of time yeah yeah <clears throat> and maybe and maybe that's your uh and maybe that's your golden egg right there yeah. and maybe that's your golden egg i i like the fact that you're um, I like the fact that you're thinking about it, though, because I think that I still think that the deciduous or the broadleaf, I'm going to say broadleaf in general, whether it's evergreen or deciduous, I think the broadleaf genre is is still so ripe for exploration and and obvious. We haven't even covered the basics yet. I no. Mean, like, uh, how many compelling just deciduous oak bones I have you ever seen? I mean, the, I mean, just covering like the basics of species that haven't really been experimented with or just natural basic things that we see in, in the environment. Most of that has not been, or a lot of it hasn't been represented in the deciduous context. Yeah. Uh, do you know who Beth Moon is, the photographer? No, I don't. Uh, Beth Moon, she published... 
It's called Ancient Trees, Portraits of Time. Um, and she's, uh, I, I have exposure to Beth Moon um, th- through another project that I'm working with right now. And like her, her pro- process of photography and her darkroom process. And I, I, I think she, she, she prints or she she develops on uh in a really unique way that has machines that nobody can fix anymore and you know so she's like one of a like three or four people in the world that can do what she does anyways she she's like dedicated her life to finding these ancient trees and photographing them um and a lot of them are deciduous and a lot of the forms that beth moon's deciduous trees take on i've never seen that before yeah uh that she's gone and found that and found it and captured it in the most compelling way or at least you know in her vision of what the most compelling way is her her photography has has had a huge impact on my impression of trees and forms and ancient um but it's like you know it's hard in our in our world if you just stay in bonsai it's impossible um, but if you branch outside of bonsai and you just look at the world of trees and all of the mediums, whether it's film or photography or painting or drawing or bonsai or garden design, whatever it is, it's hard to find more um, information to expand the way that we conceptualize and, and, and conceive of the medium of the tree, right? And I think that is, uh, to some degree, a limitation but I also think to some degree that is what makes bonsai so endearing. And also I think it's a, a protective mechanism Yeah. because it's like, well, with photography, everybody can pick up a camera and have a different interpretation. And, and the, the actual photographic art kind of gets lost in the shuffle a lot of the time, right? Unless you're just a hardcore. Uh, yeah. And I think music's probably the same. And I think painting and sculpture is probably the same, but bonsai or at least the use of miniaturized trees to communicate in, in the tree in general as a medium it, it, it is a very rich, although we have less input to evolve it as fast, it is a very insulated, rich medium that still has so much room to explore. And I feel fortunate uh, that, that it was the medium that I chose or, or the medium that chose me, whichever you choose to go about it. And I, I'm, I'm glad you're in it too, because it sounds like the journey has more than begun for you. Yeah, yeah, I'm really, really looking forward to you know here at Rakuya taking the deciduous context and just seeing all the different ways that it could be played with. Yeah, I, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Well, let me ask you something. Um, in terms of your your thought process around, I mean, and you talked about Michael's work with the the Vine Maple Tower and the Artisan's Cup and the and the the vacuum and and David Cruss's work. Like, um, do you feel a necessity to move away from, or do you feel a tug or a pull or any motivation to move away from the traditional form of the ceramic vessel, an oval, a rectangle, uh, you, you know, a round shaped container in the pursuit of some of these ideas? Like, what does that look like for you in terms of the, the, the construct of the container? Yeah, there's a few things that I really want to play with, um, I feel like in bonsai, we, everything that we do tends to be on one plane, and so I love like your your uh, your your cypress planting that's on a rock where you you have this different plane. I love Tamora's 
uh, Hinoki Forest, which again is, is not operating on this, this flat horizontal plane. Uh, so I think portraying uh, de the deciduous context on something that's not horizontal, I think is is pretty uh, is pretty unexplored and something I, I really want to play with. Mm -hmm. So that's maybe using different types of vessels like a stone or, or metal or, or just something out of the ordinary that's not ceramic. I, I think there's a lot of room to, to play with that if, if, you, if you move off the, the horizontal line. Um, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of other things I really want to play with too. But yeah, I think, you know, like with forests, for example, I would love to, to have a deconstructed forest where you have several pots um, that are on the same maybe display stand or in the tokenoma that you know have different pieces of a forest so maybe you have seven pots with multiple trees in them and you put them all together and you have one bonsai off of that i, I think there's room to a lot of room to play with the the, the container that we're, we're we're choosing yeah um even in deciduous uh, but i think my approach tends to be i, I want if i'm going to really screw with the container or something like that. I don't want to do too much other stuff. I, I want to kind of just mess with one thing at a time. Cause I think that's, that's where I feel like you have the most success is, is if you just subtract one element from the tradition and then you go crazy on, on that element, then I think that the message is a bit more powerful. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's really, that, that, that's interesting. So you're saying if you had a traditional tree and you change the context of the container, that yeah. that that the contrast of the traditional against this this deviation from the aesthetic would have more weight. Yeah, just just kind of tweaking one element, whether it be the container, whether it be the silhouette shape, whether it be mm -hmm. the, the the environment it's displayed, and just choosing one element to mm -hmm. tweak rather than trying to change everything and throw everything away. That's that, that's the approach that I tend to take. Oh, I'm excited to see that. I I, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I definitely agree with you in in instances I, I, I have felt that. I, I do tend to feel, you know, like it's very hard for me to take some wild because I think if you try to quantify, especially our junipers uh, in North America, I, I think, in, yeah. and, you know, my senpai, Masayuki Fujikawa, was here um, in the fall of uh, 2019. And we went to Yosemite and he worked on several Rocky Mountain junipers, ponderosa pines and stuff. And he said, man, just wild. That's the only thing that I can say. It's just that they're just m more rugged and more wild than Japanese trees. Yeah. And the, the raw material is from the, from the jump. It is just, that is definitively noticeable. <clears throat> I always have a hard time putting that in a super formal container or a super refined container. Now there is like, a contrast to the wild in the refined that I think can be beautiful, but yeah. but there's like something there that for me I can't cross that. It just doesn't it doesn't fit. But if yeah. if you can cross that, I would love to engage with that singular element that you adjust because that's something that I just like mentally I can't cross that boundary. But I yeah. want I want to see it. I want people to do. It. I want to experience that. Yeah, I I. I I think this is just, it takes me back to just deciduous and, and coniferous bonsai, that, that whole binary thing. Uh, I mean, I just, it, it, 
if we look at coniferous bonsai, some of the best examples that we have, some of our best coniferous bonsai are Yamadori that are just totally individualistic and unique. And let's, let's say you're Rocky Mountain Juniper number one again. I mean, that looks like no Rocky Mountain Juniper I've ever seen, Yamadori right. or in nature. It's, it's so abstracted in its, its image and its form. And it's, it's like super individual, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know, with deciduous, we, we tend to make, we don't have that. We don't have that crazy individualness. Not, that's not to say you don't have trees that look different than the other, but it's really interesting to me with, with coniferous bonsai and Yamadori, you know, the, the, the potential that that individuality brings to the table mm-hmm. uh, and, mm-hmm. the, and the ways that we, we work with that. Well, I almost feel like if you're going to get that with deciduous, it would be some anomaly or, or the collected, yeah. the collected nature of the deciduous. But even then, you know, like they don't, they don't have that. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, there's like a handful of trees I can think of in Japan that stand out apart from the rest, like a few Japanese maples with, you know, real long, slender, almost literati trunks, but a plate base yeah. or or like, yeah. a, you know, horn beams that 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 have that same nuance that differentiate from the perfect model. But it's like um, when you think about in Japan, all of the named trees, you know, that have names, the Kicho Bonsai, the National right. Treasure Trees, like... It's it is conifer dominant, and there's a like longevity component there. There's a maintenance of the quality that would allow it to be considered at that level. But 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 there's also yeah yeah there is a diversity and a uniqueness that is is not as prevalent and deciduous. I see what you're making a very strong point. I see what you're saying at this uh, uh, at this point. Yeah yeah. So I think I think deciduous. I think we need to find a way to introduce some of that individual. Mm-hmm. to it i think that's that's where we can grow i've there's a gentleman in europe who's actually done some really radical work i think he takes like a japanese maple or an elm and he's displayed it i think the salyu and nolanders um but he takes like an elm and just does something totally abstract and oh. like crazy and and puts shari on them and, and does all this kind of yeah yeah that one <laughs> I'm talking about Lorin. Lorin, there you, Cosmic Bonsai. I just got this book. I ordered it. Uh, I ordered it when it when it first came out. This guy, this guy is is completely breaking the mold. Really, really interesting concepts about the art form, pursuit of the art form. Yeah, this, yeah. this guy is next level. A hundred, hundred and twenty percent. Fascinating work. It's it's work that I wouldn't want to do myself, but it's 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 like that that that. Um, David Cross vacuum or, or Dan Robinson's work where it really challenges my, my way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I like people's work that, that challenges me like that. Yeah. Yeah. When Troy and I went, when Troy and I uh, went, when he went and saw the trophy for the first time, um, the display that Lauren uh, presented had, there was like a, uh, there was like a bear chemical company, like a sign or bottle and like yeah. an atomic, uh, like a nuclear cloud and, uh, and like a robot. And it was just, it, it was, it's like, and you never forget his work yeah. is, his work is undeniable, unforgettable, and definitely challenges. Now, if you want to talk about art, 
You're talking about that's art. That's definitely art. <laughs> and, and and so all of a sudden, but but here's the thing: his compositions. You are talking about painstaking, painstaking amounts of time to yeah. get done what he's gotten done, and to yeah. do and to do what he's doing. Um, and I honestly, I'm excited. To, I'm just looking at it for the first time as I'm digging yeah, in. I here. would, I would love to ask him about the sustainability of some of that. Like, is is it like a conifer where you have to keep doing this very heavy manipulation, you know, styling after styling of it uh, to maintain those that abstractness? Because I would imagine the tree is going to want to fight it and, and grow more tree-like yeah i think it's i think there's a strong i think there's definitely a strong potential for some kickback with a lot of but i think that's the way of it though right um and and i think and i'm just just kind of seeing this now i think he's quite informed by maybe uh uh chinese or south pacific bonsai approaches which you know pull in a whole different aesthetic and technique that 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 we don't necessarily think about or practice a lot in the western world but um yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm sure it's going to fight it because I feel like even pushing the asymmetrical form while giving the bonsai or, or, or a tree everything that it needs for water and nutrition, it naturally moves back towards the symmetrical form. It just is. That's why I feel like yeah. even with Mr. Kimura's innovative uh, asymmetrical pushes when he was younger, all of those have come back to a more traditional form over time. Yeah. And that's where I feel like even though it's it's really it's really frustrating because it takes so long to enact a, 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 a deciduous design, I, I think although you can make a radical change to a conifer, it's always going to be fighting to push back. So in the end, does it take the same amount of time to implement that? Like you're, you're yeah. fighting time and the slowness of deciduous, you rapidly yeah. change the conifer, but it's trying to move back a lot faster. It's like... I really have found for everybody saying like, oh, you can make a juniper immediately, a pine takes forever, a spruce is in the... It's like all of them get to the same place at the same time in my mind. And and, and honestly, yeah. I feel like deciduous it takes the same time. It just looks different, you know? It looks a lot different, yeah. It's it's like we're practicing a different art. If we're well, practicing a different craft or thing. Or whatever. whatever, right? Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it looks totally different, but yeah, I, I do think, I mean, you, like going back to the Artisan's Cup, seeing those trees now, you know, five, six years later, what is it? You know, a lot of those Yamadori conifers, which looked really great and exciting then, have just matured and, and really kind of evolved in a beautiful way. Yeah. Um, they're totally better trees than they were then. Uh, so yeah, I, I do think with, with conifers, it, it's we we do tend to, and I, I myself am included in this. We do tend to say that they're they're faster than they actually are. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the, and and here's the here's the freaky thing about this uh, is we tend to assume that a conifer filling out and becoming denser and the and the form becoming more refined is 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 improving, right? Yeah. But it's like when I look at some of the original interpretations um both that i've that i've uh enacted upon a tree at marai or look at some of the younger more youthful interpretations that uh whether it's shinji suzuki um and say for example you know the uh the the video that was made about shinji suzuki in the 90s or early 2000s works of divinity huh. right yeah. the white pine that he presented in the sakufu exhibition at that point in time is far superior to that tree right now 
far superior to that tree right now. And the 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 triple trunk spruce that was presented that rivaled Kunio Kobayashi's black pine in that Sakafu judging is far superior to that tree right now. Yeah. You know, and 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 I think you could go on and on with these moments where those trees in a younger stage as a conifer representative proportionally uh authenticity of the shape of apex branching etc the not so bloated um form of the enactment of technique over the course of time that's created this dense full lush and more or less symmetrical form you know the younger versions were more powerful in my mind yeah yeah you see that too with the uh the juniper at at fuyo and the what is what is the name of that one? Oh, show show ten no view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I saw a photo of that from I think it was like the forties or fifties, someplace yes. a long time ago. Yeah, and it like it was super rad. Like it is, it is like super cool. And then you see it now, and it's just this very symmetrical, yeah, ancient kind of unmaintained kind of form. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah, it's it's super super interesting to see. So then it's like, I'm, th- this is where I really feel, I honestly feel like um, the necessity to quantify and define and, and going and seeing whether it's the bristle cones or whether it's the uh, giant sequoias or whether it's the uh, Monterey cypress or whether it's the uh, any number of the grand champions on the Olympic Peninsula, to go and see ancient or the Sierra Junipers, you know, and the Sierras, um, to go and see ancient and try to quantify what makes this tree look ancient. How does this, you know, cause beyond deadwood, there's, there, there's aesthetics to ancient, I think. And it's like this yeah. unpredictable, uh, far degree of asymmetry with this ran, these random acts constantly being enacted upon these trees that yeah. to me, that represents age. There's a large amount of deadwood. There's a greater amount of negative space. There's a smaller amount of living material compared to dead material. And Dan Robinson started this concept for me during the lab panel discussion, or no, excuse me, the natives panel discussion uh, that Aaron facilitated up at PBM long ago when he said, in forestry, we define an ancient tree as a tree that had a dead top. That was that was like the beginning of what what is an, uh, an, an older tree in forestry. But yeah. it's you, you know, like when you start to think about that, that's the only way that when I started wiring and unwiring juniper bonsai, Rocky Mountain junipers, unwire, wiring and unwiring ponderosa pine, it's like, man, in Japan, we did this because there were clients asking us to do this. In the United States, we don't have the same client structure or, or patronage as a professional. So yeah. for me to wire and unwire a tree multiple times to perpetuate a symmetrical form and kind of hold a tree in the teenage years, I, I, I'm not going to be able to do this for the rest of my life. This feels purposeless, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's, at the same time, I think too, like, I don't know, when are, when are we moving past displaying a, a, a bonsai when it's, you know, kind of at a longer stance of time versus, you know, just in a glimpse of a moment. Yeah. Or like, you know, a tree that's being brushed by the wind and has all the branches and all the fine twigs kind of moving in, in one direction. I think with my work, I, I tend to avoid that. I, I like to see continuity, more continuity through time. What is not one day in the life of this tree? What's that going to look like? But what's, 
20 years in, in the life of, of this tree, what's, how's that going to manifest itself? Because I think whenever you're doing that one photographic glimpse of, 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 of when you're taking, when you're portraying an iteration of that tree in a very small window of time, I, I think it's, well, one, it's a hell of a lot harder, right? You got to, if it's a windswept, you know, elm, you got to wire every single branch. If it's mm-hmm. a, a conifer, you got to maybe do a lot of detail wiring as well and, and thin it out maybe or, or whatever to portray the image you're after. But there, there's way more work involved with it. Um, but I think it's harder because with bonsai, with we're, we're keeping these trees on the bench for decades. It's, it's just harder for those ideas to be sustainable. Yeah. I think. I, yeah, I wonder though, like, because when I look at the pinging model and you see what they're able to do with the windswept form void of wire via the printing yeah. methodologies and you see some of the extremes of ramification, the angularity of some of the approaches to the pinging schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think even in Japanese bone size, some of the coniferous forms they've been able to maintain, I think this is again where I want to circle back to, I don't think we have had the time in North America with so much of North American bonsai post-World War II was just like, how do we water this thing? What do we plant this in? Like, where do you get a pot? You know, how how do you wire? Like, like we were literally like, you know, rubbing sticks and stones together and trying to make sparks and fire. We, we, We weren't talking about anything. And that's not to, that's not to undermine or demoralize any of the pioneers like good on you you had more dedication than anybody currently doing bonsai did because there wasn't the information the internet didn't exist the the openness and exchange of of teaching and communication wasn't there the knowledge wasn't so they created the foundation right i want to give credit where credit is due but um I think what we're starting to recognize or at least what i'm starting to recognize in the use of yamadori is you know, Juniper comes out of collection, we give it two years in a box, and it's growing robust foliar mass, and we're saying, well, this tree has recovered from the collection process. Au contraire. Yeah. Au contraire, right? Because that tree might experience abnormal behaviors as a result of collection that will change its response for 10, 12 years after the collection process. And having been now in my 11th year, working with some of the trees that I started while I was still apprenticing in Japan, you know, on the occasional trip home or working with some of the trees I started in 2010, 2011, and I couldn't understand their behavior or there were things that it was doing that I couldn't fix, solve, etc. And then recognizing, oh, this tree has been in flux for the past 10 years. And only now is it stabilizing that has reset my opinion of the conifer as this rapid sort of uh, singular moment transformation, um, rapid get what you want when you want it kind of a vibe. And I'm and I'm I'm seeing now that like, oh wow, we just haven't had the time to understand this to the degree where we develop the techniques that serve the ability to actually utilize this material. And that's encouraging. That's encouraging that we we are just beginning to even know that that exists and we don't even know what comes next right like this is brilliant you know yeah it's we don't really work with yamadori too much in north american deciduous bonsai but it's 
I mean, we have our own challenges that are pretty similar. I think, you know, I deal with a lot of, and I've, I have a lot of trees here at Rockuyo that, um, are, are kind of more mature deciduous bonsai. Maybe I'm, I'm the second generation or third generation owner, and there are these trees that are maybe been in a pot for 30 years. And now that they're at that point of maturing and really slowing down their metabolisms, you, you know, they, they go, there's around the 30 year mark for a lot of trees, there's a shift in, in deciduous context. There's, there's, a, there's a shift in health. Um, they tend to be a lot less stable. Um, they tend to not be able to maintain this, this incredibly unnatural, dense uh, system that we've built. Um, and so, you know, around the 30 to 40 year mark, you know, that's when you start to see significant branches die mm. or twig death before that. And then significant branches die and you have to go through this whole process of, of keeping them in a box um, for a couple of years to, to reinvigorate them. Um, so I think with deciduous, we have this kind of, the same kind of challenge, but it's almost like on the other end of the spectrum. It's, it's, you know, we're dealing with sustainability of age um, when they're quite old um, but when they're young and vigorous, they don't have a lot of these same challenges. Yeah, that's really interesting because the box conversation came up uh, in, in the last time we talked, and I've thought a lot about this. I've thought diligently about it. And when I was in Japan, I was just starting to see trees being put in boxes. Like the concept was relatively new and in, in, uh, amongst deciduous growers. And Mr. Kamura used to always say there's kind of a finite amount of time that a deciduous tree can live inside of a bonsai container and then they lose value and you want to sell it before then. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then you talked about the box and reinvigorating it. And then you talked about having seen that in Japan. And I hadn't, I hadn't really seen that when I was there during my time there, but I think it's become more prominent. And I know Certainly for Satsuki azaleas, they don't grow Satsukis in solid kanuma nearly as much. They supplement kanuma now. Maybe that's a quality of kanuma. Maybe that's a climate change. Maybe that's a, uh, a knowledge expansion of the Satsuki azalea. Certainly for deciduous trees, maybe the Akadama quality is declining as they mine some of the more rich areas. Maybe the climate change is impacting them. Maybe the uh, knowledge has evolved that the box to perpetuate age is a necessary thing. And these are all like again, the nuances of like a conifer is collected, it recovers for two years, we style it and we think that's the end and it's not. You know, yeah. a deciduous tree gets to this point and that's the end, maybe it's not. And here's a way that we get around it. I, I honestly, and I've said this before and I'll say it again because I think it uh, frustrates and upsets a lot of people, tip of the iceberg, tip of the iceberg, Japanese bonsai, where it got was a very high level, tip of the iceberg for what is possible, I do believe there is so much more for us to learn. Yeah, I mean, if you just look at the significant changes that have come about, I mean, what, when did we start decandling black pines? That was, what, like 40 years ago? Yeah, yeah, that, not, 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 not right, not a, not very long, it's not a technique. Well, the use of wire is yeah. not that long in bonsai terms. We might be entering, what, the using wire in bonsai for 70, 80 years now? So, yeah. so, the, so this thing that's hundreds of years old or thousands of years old and, and, and these modern techniques, and we don't know how the use of wire changes potentially for the negative, the physiological process of the tree. Right. Maybe for the positive, who knows? We don't know how the box or the container or the soil or the climate or the, it, it's just, it, it's, 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 um, it's expansive 
and again, like just to circle back and go full circle, like in addition to that, the discovery of context, you know, like a lot of, I think a lot of the notions of art, art as a, a, a luxury of, of survival no longer being a question. Uh, to create art, to think about th- these sort of greater themes and have the ability to explore. And I'm not saying this universally, but saying like, when you have the freedom to think like that, it's because you're not out hunting an animal to feed yourself or building a shelter to and a fire to stay warm. You, you, you have your uh, survival necessities met to a relative degree. And I know there's tons of exceptions to this uh, without a doubt, but I think for, for the most part, those those things have been met and now you get to think about these other things um to a large degree where bones i got was just trying to get it to survive and trying to get it to look kind of nice and trying to understand this mechanism and now that there's a lot more information around that we can explore context yeah and, and we can push to that next level if if in fact that that is done in a way that elevates it to that next level i don't know if it will be i certainly want to try yeah and i, th- I think if we sit down in 30 years from now and, and talk about his bonsai and our aircraft will we'll have a lot of different things to, to add to the conversation i think this will be an evolving conversation i think it was pivotal uh and continues to be a pivotal exercise that that the conversation be addressed i i sincerely appreciate uh the asking of the question and the neutrality of the conversation that we've had tonight because I don't think either one of us came with an agenda. No, I don't think so either. Because we, I don't, I feel like neither one of us are saying that we know. I don't know. I got no idea. Yeah, it, I don't know. This, here, here's my thoughts. Here's my thoughts. 2021. <laughs> <five years> later, <laughs> I'm gonna want to delete this video. <laughs> but. Totally. Yeah. No. No. But I. But I'm so glad that I asked because I was like, God, Andrew asked me, asked, uh, just brought up a subject matter that I wanted to talk about. And I'd completely yeah. spaced it. And I'm so happy that you're like, we could talk about anything. But I was just thinking, and it's like, no, yeah. that's a good one. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah, this, this was fun. Uh, so, again, if people want to get a hold of you and, uh, and dig into deciduous study, first of all, do you have students right now com- coming? Or like, how are, how are things in the pandemic with Rakuyo Bonsai? Yeah, so in 2020, our, our big goal with Rakuya was just to get this house built, get all the trees um, that I had acquired in, in one location. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so right now, uh, going into 2021, it's it's garden construction. So all the trees are here. You know, I have a greenhouse, I have gravel, uh, but building benches, kind of figuring out a way to to lay them out, uh, just kind of building a shade cloth structure, just getting my kind of core infrastructure set up. That's, that's my kind of focus for 2021. Um, I have several clients that I, that I travel to and, and help maintain their collections. Um, I'm hoping once, whenever this pandemic gets under control to, to get students here, because I really want this, this place that I'm creating to, to be a, an environment for, for deciduous. Like I said, we have, you know, field grown trees. We have seedling grown trees. I have Yamadori. I have, I have a, a wide variety. I have Japanese-looking trees. I have more natural European-looking trees. So mm-hmm. I, I, I just want this to be a, an environment for, for people to think about deciduous bonsai within that context. Nice, nice. So, so we're, we're we're still we're still young. We're a little seedling that's that's barely beginning to to grow. But 
But yeah, it's, it's it's an exciting time. I'm really looking forward to the next few years. Setting those roots, man. Setting those roots. It's yeah. super. I'm I'm I can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so happy that you're uh, that you're off and running and you got that foundation built. I wish you all the best of luck. Uh, and I, I I just look forward to seeing what you do. Um, but I would like to circle back. You know, we've kind of like set this intention to these conversations. And uh, I feel like the broadleafed evergreen category isn't really something that's been. Someone's got to do that. It's, it's not going to be me, but so- someone's got to take that and run. Because I'd love to see camellias and there it is. Of, and all of these things just totally. Boxwoods even, I think we've just scratched the surface on. So I'd love to see someone play with that. Totally. Yeah, totally. I, I feel like um, I feel like there's a conversation there. I feel like there's a lot of species that have never been even thought about, uh, yeah. let alone utilized. And 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 there's there's uh, I think a rich amount of collectible broadleaf evergreen material in North America. I think so. Yeah. I mean, uh, anyways, conversation for another time. Andrew, thanks so much for making the time, man. It was really good to catch up. Yeah, nice to catch up with you too. Thanks, and thanks. Uh, we'll catch you next Let's time. Forward. Let's do it yeah. again. We'll do it. All right, man. Cheers. Take care.